Well, I've got a choice for you. You can choose between a microwave hot dog and some tender ribs or brisket, whichever you prefer or both and. Okay, let me see. How many of you are gonna choose the microwave hot dog? Let me see a show of hands. None of you, just as I suspected. How many of you are gonna choose the tender ribs and brisket, either or or both and? Okay, all of us, that's what I thought. I, I was assuming that we would all choose the tender ribs or brisket. My friend and fellow pastor Brandon here tells me that to cook a brisket, because I have no idea, I haven't done it, I've never done it in my life, uh, to cook a good brisket, he says you've got to do, he calls it low and slow. That, that's what it takes to get a good brisket. On Easter this past year, my, my brother Jordan made a brisket for our family and he got up like it three in the morning or something to start this brisket and then was checking on it like every hour or so. And it, it took a long time to make this brisket. My, my guess is, is he made it low and slow. He didn't put it in the microwave and hit the brisket button and it count down from three minutes and then it's ready, right? That, that's not what happened. He had to cook it low and slow. On my microwave, I don't know about yours, if you have one, there's a popcorn button. And if you hit popcorn and you touch that button, then it microwaves the popcorn for exactly two or three minutes, whatever it takes, and then your popcorn is ready. Let, let me just kind of make sure we all understand something here this morning. There is no church button on a microwave. You, you don't push the church button on a microwave and then the counter starts cooking down or going down. And when it dings, then everything's good and right and you're okay and I'm okay and we've done our duty, we've done our job here. There is no church button. A picture, I felt like the vision, I felt like the God gave me this summer is that we are not a microwave church. We're not a microwave church. There is no button that you push on us or on the church to get what you need and want in a certain amount of time. Jesus said this in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. What he was saying is, blessed are those who know they need God. Who know I don't have it all together, that I'm sick, like Jesus said, and I need a doctor. I was broken and I needed someone to come and, and to put me back together. Blessed are the poor in spirit who understand and realize their deep need for God. I don't know about you, but I need the Lord. I need God. I need his word. I need his spirit inside of me. I need God. We are here to do church, not to go to church, but to do church, we're here to do battle. We're here to worship God. We're here to meet with God. I don't know about you, but I'm desperate. I'm desperate to meet with God. I'm desperate to hear from God. I'm desperate to be empowered by God. And my question for you this morning is, are you? Are you desperate for him? Are you poor in spirit where you realize the depth of your spiritual need that you need God and you need his help and you need his word, you need his spirit? Because I believe and I know that especially here in the American church today, we've got a lot of comfortable Christians who are not desperate for God. They wanna push a button on a microwave when they go to church, have it count down from 40, 50 or 60 minutes, whatever they prefer, because we're comfortable. At our church, you need to know, we will reject and passionately confront our comfortable, consumeristic, apathetic, partisan, nationalistic American Christianity. We will reject and passionately confront those things because I believe Jesus is calling us to so much more than that. We reject caring about tech football, youth sports, buying houses and cars, or who the president is. We reject caring about those things more than the glory of God, our deep spiritual need, the lost in our city and the lost around the world. We will care about those things, the glory of God, more than we care about these worldly things. Today, we are talking about who we are as a church. 
where we are headed and how we are going to get there. You could say we're talking about our vision. And so we've been calling this, our staff has been calling this a vision Sunday because we're gonna talk about who we are, where we're headed and how we're going to get there. The vision of our church is to be the city on a hill that Jesus said his disciples would be. And that's a family of grace and truth. And here's what I want you to see today. More specifically, we are going to be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational family that is number one, anchored in the scripture, number two, empowered by the spirit, and number three, committed to the mission regardless of the cost. Our definition of success at this church will be who we are becoming, not how many are coming. It won't be about buildings. It's not gonna be about money. It's not gonna be about counts and numbers. It's going to be about who we are becoming. And the more people that wanna be a part of that, that's great, but that's not our primary focus. We will be more about who we are becoming, not what's and not how many's, but who. That will be our definition of success, becoming disciples of Jesus that in turn make disciples. And you'll see more why here in just a second, why our definition of success will not be how many are coming, because I'm not sure in the future of this country how many are actually going to be coming. That will never be our definition of success. It will be who we are becoming. So let's, let's break this down. I'm gonna be all over the place today in the scripture. So uh, normally we're, we're walking through books of the Bible and I'll get to that here in just a second, but today we will be all over the place. So I invite you to jump on our app, the City Church Lubbock, and uh, click message notes and follow along with me. All the points and the verses and everything we're talking about today will be there. The City Church Lubbock, you can download it in your app store if you don't have our app. And then again, you can follow along with the message and that's a great way to be uh, a participant today, not just kind of sit back and watch, but to actually engage and participate in what we're talking about today. So as a family, here's what we're going to be focused on and committed to. Number one, we're going to be anchored to the scripture. Anchored to the scripture and here's why. David in Psalm 19, verse, starting in verse seven, said this about the word of God. He said, the instructions of the Lord are perfect. Are they almost perfect or kind of just, oh, you know, right there kind of underneath? But no, David said the instructions of the Lord, the word of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. So God's word will revive your soul. It'll wake you up out of a spiritual slumber and out of a spiritual sleep. And it will make you aware of the depth of your spiritual need before God. And it will wake you up. It will revive your soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. We can trust the word of God and it's the word of God that will make us wise. I'm not gonna make you wise. Some, some book or devotional is not necessarily gonna make you wise. It is the word of the Lord that's going to make you wise and that we can trust. You can't trust me. You, you can't trust that, that book or that podcast that you listen to, not ultimately, but you can trust the word of the Lord. You can trust the scripture. And it's through the scripture by which we filter everything that we hear and read. It is our filter. And so you can trust it. You can trust it. It makes you wise. The commandments of the Lord are right and they bring joy to the heart. You read the word of God, you study the word of God, it's going to bring joy to your heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear. They give insight for living. They tell us how to live, who God is and what he expects and what he wants from us. Reverence for the Lord is pure lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold. The word of the Lord. David said, is more desirable. It is more worthy than gold itself. Even the finest gold, they are sweeter than honey. The word of God is sweet and it will satisfy you to your core. Sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant and a great reward for those who obey them. When you obey the word of the Lord, you will be rewarded in this life and in the next. And so Paul told Timothy this about the scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He said this, all scripture is inspired by God. So how much of scripture is inspired by God? Some of it, a little of it, most of it, all of it, Paul said. All of the scripture. 
He's speaking of the Old Testament, and we know as we study the New Testament, he is speaking of some of the letters that were circling by some of the other apostles like Peter. He called Peter's letters scripture, and Peter called Paul's letters scripture. And so all of the scripture, old and new, is inspired by God. And watch what the word of God will do in our lives. It will teach us what is true, and it makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. So as you read the word of God, will you find things that confront your life? Yes. You will learn about some things that you're not doing right. You will learn that you're not thinking right or believing right or living rightly as you read the word of God. That is a very natural good thing that happens when you read the word of God. It will confront things in your life that are not measuring up to the word of the Lord and you will feel convicted over your sin by the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that here in just a second. But this is a very good and natural and right thing. That as you read the word of God, it's gonna confront things that are wrong in your life and it will correct you when you are wrong. So do, do we think and believe and act wrongly sometimes? Absolutely we do. And the Bible will show us where we are wrong and it teaches us how to do right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So by reading the scripture, by studying the scripture, you will be equipped to do all the good works that God has planned for you to do, Ephesians 2, verse 10. To live out, as Pastor Fred talked about last week, to live out the ministry that God has for you, you've got to study the word of God. And by studying it over and over and over, meditating on it day and night, you will be equipped for the ministry for the works that God has planned for you. So, so based on all of this, watch what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter four. So I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Watch this, watch what he says. Preach the word, preach the word of God. Not, not your words, Timothy, not, not the words of someone else. Preach the word of God. God, be prepared to preach the word, whether the time is favorable or not, whether you're, you're living in a culture or in a country or among the people who want to receive it or not, whether it's popular or not, preach the word of God, Paul told Timothy. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently, watch what he tells Timothy to do based on the word of God. Correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching that comes from the word of God. For a time is coming, watch this, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. So, so why are we not as concerned with how many are coming? Because we know that not everyone is going to accept the word of God. Not everyone wants to hear it. And so our definition of success cannot be how many are coming. Are we hopeful that more and more people will place their faith in Jesus and become disciples of Jesus and will want to study the word of God? Absolutely. But if numbers were our definition of success, we would have fired Jesus as our pastor because he took thousands of people who followed him and he whittled down to 12. He would have been the most unsuccessful leader in the history of the church. So, so numbers are not our definition of success. It's about who we are becoming. And we know, and we, will, we, we find out as we study the scripture that in the last days, people are going to be turning away from the, Lord, the, the word of the Lord. They aren't gonna wanna hear it. And Paul says, watch, watch this. They're gonna, they're gonna follow their own desires. They're gonna look to, their, the, to themselves. They will become the authority themselves of their own lives. And we'll look, watch this. We'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear, they will reject the truth and chase after myths. Paul said there will be some people who instead of following the word of the Lord as their authority in their life, they will become their own authority. They will become the judge of right and wrong. And as it says in the book of Judges, they will begin to do what is right in their own eyes. And then they'll gather around them teachers who just tell them what they want to hear that make them feel good about themselves and the way they are living. All because they don't wanna hear, they don't wanna hear the word of God. And so they'll reject the truth and they'll chase after myths. Today, most Christians, most Christians do not know basic Christian theology or doctrine. Today in our country, Christians are picking churches based on ideology, political ideology, and not theology. 
Christians today do not know the full counsel of the word of God regarding gender and sexuality, which is one of the reasons we're doing our event tonight for youth and their parents. If you haven't signed up for that, sign up for that now. Go on our app, click signups, and sign up for our youth and gender night. It's for youth and their parents. We're gonna talk tonight about sexuality and gender and what the Bible has to say. We don't know the full counsel of God's word regarding marriage, politics, suffering. We know sound bites and memes, and that is absolutely dangerous. Christians today see the world more through the lens of the right or the left and not through the scripture itself. Our kids are turning from their faith as soon as they leave home and step foot on a college campus. The old statistics when I was a youth pastor were that 80% of students that graduate high school and leave their families and step foot on a college campus turn away from their faith in the first year, 80%. And so maybe, maybe the most significant issue in the church today is that we don't know the scripture. And why is that? Well, Paul tells us here, the reason for that would be that we don't read our Bibles. We don't study our Bibles. We don't study the word of God. We go to churches, we read books, we read devotionals and listen to inspirational messages with little platitudes that are all taken out of context in order to inspire you. And so we never really study the actual scripture. And if you've been here for very long, you know, I'm just done with that. I'm done with taking the scripture out of context and then even teaching you to do the same. So what are we gonna do? How are we going to address this? How are we going to be committed to the word of God as we read in the verses that we just read in Psalms in 2 Timothy? We are going to study the scripture and here's how we're gonna do it. Number one, we're going to preach the word. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. In a month, we are starting the gospel of Luke and that will take us probably about a year. I don't know how long, I'm just giving you approximate as we've planned it out. We think it'll probably take about a year. There'll be some things interspersed in between there, but it's probably gonna take us about a year. If you haven't figured it out, I preach normally from the New Living Translation. And so if you're gonna be here at this church and you're gonna study the scripture with us, you need a Bible or you need a Bible app. And uh, we preach through the New Living Translation. That's what we do our daily devotionals in. That's where uh, the translation that our, our kids and our students use. If you have another Bible, another translation, I, I, I suggest or I recommend translations like the NIV, uh, the, the NASB or the ESV, maybe the NK and maybe the New King James, I would stick to those. If you ask me about another translation, I would probably tell you, don't read it. And there's reasons why. So those are the ones I would stick to. I will be preaching from the NLT because it's easy to read. There was about 90 scholars that worked on this translation of the scripture from the original Greek manuscripts. It's a thought for thought translation. So it's a little bit easier to read than the ESV. ESV is my personal preference for studying, but NLT reads better, a little bit better for preaching. And so that's the translation that we will use. We are going to have for sale Probably in a couple of months, we won't have them at the beginning of the series, but about a few weeks into the series, we will have for sale what's called an NLT journal Bible. And so the scripture will be on one page and there will be lines, empty blank lines on the other page. And they sell them by the book. We're gonna buy them in bulk and have them for sale a little bit cheaper here. Um, and so we'll invite you to get those and you'll see why here in just a second because you will not only study Luke in here, uh, but it'll be in our daily devotionals and in our groups and everything. And it, it'll be a great central place for you to take notes and to read the gospel of Luke with us over the next, over the next year. So that's the first thing, we're gonna preach the word. Secondly, we're going to read the word, read the word. Monday through Friday, each week on our app, we have daily devotionals. And they will walk you through what we talked about on Sunday. So all the verses we cover on Sundays, you will, will have throughout the week in our app and our daily devotionals with more commentary, some application questions, and then some prayer points so that you can pray through the scripture. And so 
That's every Sunday. And then when we start the Gospel of Luke, whatever verses we covered that Sunday will be broken out all that week so that you can read them and study them and get some further commentary and application points and prayer points on those devotionals. Here, here's an example. Here's Mondays. We're, we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, verse two through four, the passage we just read about preaching the word of God. Here's some commentary that comes from the ESV study Bible. Here's some study questions that, that help you think about how to apply these verses to your life. And then here's some things to pray at the end so that you're praying the scripture. So if you go to our app, the new place to go is Bible study. That's where everything that we're talking about today is going to be. You click Bible study and then the daily devos are there. And then everything we're about to talk about here in just a second is going to be there as well. So we invite you again, not to just study the word with us here on Sunday mornings, but all throughout the week as you read the word of God and as you study the word of God. Next, third, we're going to be convinced of the word. We're going to preach it. We're going to read it. And we're going to be convinced of it with something we're calling the city seven. This is something new that we're launching this fall. If you follow me on social media, you've seen me previewing these, and we're going to talk about this here for just a second. The City Seven are seven foundational truths that will help you and your family know why we believe what we believe in a simple and easy way. So that when you're talking with someone who doesn't follow Jesus, maybe you'll have some answers for the hope that you have in Christ. Or so when your kids go to college, Hopefully they've been here most weeks out of the six or seven years that they're in middle school and high school. They will have heard one of these every single week, just like you will in our services starting next week. They'll be in our daily devotionals. They'll be in what we're, uh, the table talk, which is what we're about to talk about here in just a second. We're gonna cover one of these every single week so that hopefully you'll be able to remember them so that you'll, your kids will be able to remember this so that when they step foot in that class and that professor begins to say, the Bible is not God's word and the Bible has a lot of errors and it's changed over the years and why would you really follow Jesus anyways? It's just some made up religion. What, what, what is to keep them? What, what answers are they going to have. We're going to help you and we're going to help your kids be ready and prepared for that day. And so these are going to help you and your family know why we believe what we believe in a simple and easy way. We're going to cover one of the city seven every week in our services, kids and youth classes, small groups and, and table talk in order to help us know and remember these core truths as a church family. So here's the first one. Here's number one of the city seven. Who is Jesus? And the answer to that question is, I believe Jesus is God because Jesus said he is God and proved it by rising from the dead and appearing to his disciples, his brother James, 500 others at one time, and Paul. And this is what all of the city seven are based upon because Paul said the central event in our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. So you could ask me, why do I believe what I believe about marriage? Well, because Jesus died, he rose again three days later, proving that he is God. He appeared, he proved that he's God, died rising from the dead and appearing to his disciples, his brother James, 500 at one time, and Paul. So he proved that he's God. And then Jesus said, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to the, his wife and the two will become one flesh. So why do I believe what I believe about marriage? Because Jesus said, that's the way marriage works and Jesus is God. So everything that we believe starts with Jesus's resurrection from the grave. That's where God showed himself and proved himself to us by coming and taking on flesh. And then he proved that he was God, that he was the way, truth, and the life by rising from the dead. So everything rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. So the city seven is all based on the resurrection, as you'll see here in just a second. So this is the first one. Uh, who is Jesus? Number two. Are there sources outside the Bible that confirm the biblical account of Jesus's resurrection from the dead? Yes, there are. Many Roman and Jewish historians have confirmed that the apostles died as martyrs for preaching that they saw Jesus risen from the grave. No one dies for something they know to be alive. There are countless historians that have documented that the apostles actually died as martyrs saying they eyewitnessed Jesus risen from the grave. No one denies that. No one debates that the apostles believed that they saw Jesus risen from the grave. We have an empty tomb. We have the appearances to, to, to almost 500 people at one time. And historians, countless, non-Christian Jewish and Roman historians saying that the disciples died as martyrs. No one dies for something they know to be alive. Number three, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Well, since all have sinned and the wages of sin is death, Jesus had to die on the cross to pay the fine for my sin so that I could be right with God. Number four, 
Can a good person, can a person be good enough to go to heaven? No, because Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he is God. I believe a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Number five, why do I follow Jesus? Why am I a Christian? Well, I follow Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven except through me. So that's it. he's either lying, he's crazy, or he was right, he's true, and he is Lord. And so I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead and he proved that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Sixth, is the Bible God's word? Well, Jesus proved that he's God by rising from the dead and said the Old Testament was God's word. And he gave authority to the apostles to write the words of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that all the words of the Bible are God's word. All scripture is God breathed. Jesus gave authority to the Old Testament by quoting from it. And then he told the apostles, the Holy, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and remind you of all truth. He's gonna tell you everything. And he's gonna remind you of everything that I've told you. He told the apostles that. And then they wrote it down. And now we have it to this day. And so that leads to the last question of the city seven, number seven. Well, then how can I trust that the Bible is still God's word today? Hasn't it changed after all these years? And the, and the answer to that question is no. Scholars debate what the actual percentage is, but it's around 99.5% textually accurate, the, the, the translations we have today, to what was actually written in the original manuscripts. I trust that the Bible is still God's word today because, why, why do I believe it? Because Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he was God and said, watch this, he said his words would never pass away. Jesus, who is God, said his words would never pass away. So if I believe Jesus rose from the dead and proved that he's God, then I believe that he has the power to make sure his words never pass away so that I can have them to this day. Through the Holy Spirit, so here's how God did it. Through the Holy Spirit, God inspired the writing of scripture, determined the canon of scripture, in other words, what would be in the Bible and what wouldn't be in the Bible, and protected the copying of scripture so that we might know him and worship him to this day. So these are the city seven, and we're gonna rehearse one of these every week in our worship services, our kids' classes, our youth classes, our small groups, our daily devotionals, and then we'll also rehearse it in the table talk that we're about to talk about here in just a second. Now on our app, right now under Bible study, you can see that the city seven are listed and they are listed with all the scripture references that go along with each one of these seven. Starting next week, we have this little book that we've made, it's a little coffee table book called the city seven. And as you open it, you'll see that it has everything that we just talked about with the references at the back. So you can put this on your coffee table and whatever one that we're reviewing that week, you'll have access to with the scripture references all at the back. We'll start selling those next week and we will be giving them away in our membership class from now on. So we're going to be convinced of the word. And then finally, we're going to discuss the word. We're preaching it, we're reading it, we're convinced of it, and then we're gonna to talk to each other about it. Our city groups, which is our small group Bible studies launched this week, and I would invite everybody to be in a city group if you're not in one, where you can discuss the word with other followers of Jesus. Most of those groups are launching back this week. If you're not in a group, now's a great time to get into a group. A lot of new groups are launching right now. Go on our app, fill out our connect form and say that you're interested in our city groups, our small group Bible studies, and then Pastor Brandon will be in touch with you and help you find a group that works for you. So we're gonna discuss the word in our groups and then we're gonna discuss the word as families. At the City Church, we wanna come alongside you as parents and help you disciple your kids. The scripture is clear that as parents, you have the primary responsibility of discipling your kids and teaching your kids to follow Jesus. It's not the church, it's not me, it's you. You have the primary role. Your primary role as parents is to disciple your kids to follow Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty intimidating. That's kind of overwhelming to me. But the great news is that we have a spiritual family, the body of Christ, 
that can come alongside us and can help us do that. And so our role as a church is to partner with you and to help you in that. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is through something we're launching this fall called the Table Talk, and it starts this week. And here's the goal, is that as a family, once a week, you'll gather around a table, dinner table, whatever it might be for you, and you will discuss what we talked about on Sundays. Now here's the great news. Starting next week, starting next week, our kids' classes, youth classes, and our worship services will all be on the same content. So when we start the book of Luke here in about a month, your kids will be studying the exact same passages that we study in here with probably the exact same big idea. It could be changed a little bit to help them understand it, but it will be the same passage and the same big idea so that you're all on the same page and so that you can have a discussion about what they talked about in their class. And then that week at the table talk, which looks like this, you're gonna talk about what we chatted about on Sunday. So you're gonna start off studying God's word together as a family. You're gonna open your Bible. This is this week's that's loaded right now on the app under Bible study. It's called Table Talk. You open your Bible to Psalm 19, seven through 11. You're gonna read that verse together. Let's go next. After reading, there's some discussion questions for you to ask your kids and for you to answer with, along with your kids to discuss the word together. Next, there's some questions on here for some older kids. If you've got students or high school students or college students that are still living at home, here's some questions that you could ask them. Next, you're gonna live God's word. So here's where we're looking at ways that you can live this out this week's big idea, you're gonna talk about that. How do we apply this in our individual lives and, and as a family? And then next, we've got praying God's word. We've got some short prayers for you to pray with your family, because I know how intimidating that can be to lead your family in prayer. And so you can just pray these short, sweet, simple statements together as a family to help you take a next step in praying with your family. Next. There's a section where you will review the City 7 together as a family. Whatever that week's City 7 is, you'll read it and you'll talk about it and the verses will be there so you could read one of the verses that kind of go along and back that up. And then next, finally, there's some kind of beyond the table activities and things that you can do. Here's a board game this week that you could play with your kids that back up everything that we're talking about here on Sunday morning. So this is called the Table Talk. It launches this week. It's on your app. And our challenge for you as families, married couples, everybody, is to do this once a week around a table to discuss the word together. We are going to be anchored to the scripture. And my hope one day, my heart, we have a vision, is to actually start a Christian school here through our church. I'm not sure when that would be, but that's in our vision as well, because we want to be anchored to the scripture we wanna help our kids and our families be anchored to the scriptures. That's number one. Number two, we wanna be a family that's empowered by the spirit. Anchored to the scripture, empowered by the spirit. Most Christians, if you said the father, who's the father? Who's Father God? Yeah, I know, I know him. Who, who, who's Jesus? Yep, I know Jesus. But what about the Holy uh, Bible? Oh, that's great. But the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. God exists as the Godhead. He exists in community. One God, eternally existing as three different and unique and distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. So you would not be saved. You would not be a Christian unless the Holy Spirit drew you to the Father, helped you understand the gospel, and then converted you, rose, raised you from the dead. You were dead in your sin, and it's the Holy Spirit of God that helps you believe the gospel, draws you to the Father, and then raises you from the dead. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. And he says this, that the Holy Spirit's gonna come. He's gonna leave. He's going to heaven to the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. And Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He's gonna be your helper. He's gonna be your comforter. He's gonna be your teacher. He's gonna point you to Jesus. And he's gonna convict you of sin and righteousness. You see, one of the reasons a lot of us live helpless and weak Christian lives it's because we don't know 
the Holy Spirit. We don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're not keeping in step with the Spirit. We're grieving the Holy Spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power that we need to follow Jesus and to live out God's will for our life that always leads us to live for Jesus and exalt Jesus and worship Jesus. In R.T. Kendall's book called The Word in Spirit, there's an analogy that is given about the Holy Spirit that I loved. It says this, Jesus said the Holy Spirit was like the wind. The powerful presence of the blowing wind fills a sail and drives a boat towards its destination. Without the wind, a boat lacks all power and rather than driving forward, remains lifeless, stuck and dead in the water. It is the steadiness of a rudder that keeps the boat on course. Without a rudder, a boat has power, but veers off course until it's lost. Some churches are sail churches and some Christians are sail Christians. They are open to and filled by the powerful presence of the wind of the Holy Spirit. They excel at such things as prayer and worship as they exercise power and spiritual war, driving the kingdom of God forward through the stormy seas of this dark and dying demonic world. Some churches are rudder churches and some Christians are rudder Christians. Like a rudder, they are focused on staying on course and not getting blown off course by every wind of false teaching. They excel at such things as doctrine and theology as they engage their mind in deep Bible studies, seeking to follow God's directions obediently. Sadly, sail Christians in churches and rudder churches in Christians often criticize one another rather than collaborating. The sails accuse the rudders of being dead, unspiritual and small-minded, powerless and passionless. And the rudders accuse the sails of being too emotional, off course and dangerous. We need the rudder and we need the sails. We need the word of God and we need the spirit of God to fill the sails. We wanna be a church of the word and the spirit that fully pursue and embrace both. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter two, starting in verse four, he said this, my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, in today's terms you could put it, rather than trying to just be kind of fluffy and inspirational and entertaining, just to tickle your ears with kind of short, trite platitudes, he said, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. We need the truth of God and we need the power of God. We need to encounter the truth of God as we study God's word. And we need to encounter the Holy Spirit of God as God's spirit comes upon us and fills us with power to know him and to follow him, to wake us up. We need the Holy Spirit to change hard hearts and to remove the blinders off of those who do not know or follow Jesus, to wake up sleepy Christians. We need the Holy Spirit to help us understand the scripture. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2 that we cannot understand spiritual truth without the Holy Spirit. You cannot understand the scripture or apply it to your life without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings illumination, that helps you understand God's word and then gives you the power for application to live it out. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. A couple of weeks ago, I heard... Matt Chandler talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said, you know what? I love when the Holy Spirit all of a sudden just rushes upon me and can knock me to my knees and I can be bawling like a baby. I love it. And I pray for more of it. He said, but oftentimes it's the Holy Spirit's slow and methodical and steady work of chiseling away the impurities in my life, giving me more and more of a love and passion for Jesus and for holiness. We need the Holy Spirit to help us flourish and grow in our giftings. It's through the Holy Spirit that you have been given a spiritual gift to serve and to build up the church and to glorify God. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help identify our gifts of the Holy Spirit and then to help us grow and to flourish in those giftings in order that we might build up the church 
and glorify Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to do in us and through us what we can never do for ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit through us that brings signs and wonders and miracles that we can never do for ourselves, that does what no man could do or explain. We need the Holy Spirit to do those things in us and through us. So, so what are we gonna do? Well, like Paul, like Paul said, we're gonna preach the word of God and we're going to pray, as he said, for a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. I pray that every Sunday morning. God, help me to preach your word with power. Help me to do what I can do by your power and in your power, but then we just need you to demonstrate your power in every person's heart and in every person's life, that every person might encounter you, have an encounter, an experience with you today where your spirit speaks to people and changes people's hearts and does miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your servant, Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit of God to do in us and through us what we could never do for ourselves. So we're going to pray for demonstrations of the Holy Spirit's power, for miracles. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to demonstrate his power through all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are not cessationists here, which means we believe in every gift of the Spirit still being in operation to this day. And so we want to be open to all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you've noticed in our services, Pastor Barry, who has more of a prophetic gift, has been using that gift in our services because we are wanting to be open to every gift of the Holy Spirit being in use and in operation. Submitted to the word of God and submitted to scriptural, spiritual authority that should be in any church, like a board of elders, but nonetheless used. And so if you've been in our services, Pastor Barry has been giving prophetic words and pictures and words from the Lord for us to respond to. But if you notice, as the Holy Spirit has grown that gift and buried, it's very humble and it's submitted to the word of God and it's submitted to scriptural, spiritual authority. So we're going to be open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and it's in prayer. And it's in this seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as Paul said, that we are confessing our weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need him to do what we cannot. And so we will be devoted to prayer because it's in prayer that we somehow tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something about prayer, about coming to the throne of grace, as it says in Hebrews, to find grace and mercy when we need it most, about coming to the throne of God, straight to God's throne through Jesus. There's something that happens there when God then begins to fill us with his Holy Spirit and allow his Holy Spirit to come upon us in power. And so we will be devoted and committed to prayer. And so we pray together corporately as a church on Wednesday nights. We invite you to join us as we do that right in here at 630. We have prayer teams available after all of our services to pray with you. We have prayer in groups, as you'll see in our leader guide for our groups. If you participate in a city group, we have prayer points for you to pray through as a group. We have prayer for our families to pray in our table talk. We believe it's prayer and it's through prayer that the Holy Spirit will work in our minds and our hearts and transform us from the inside out. All so that just as Jesus said, Jesus might be glorified. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. It points us to Jesus. It gives us a passion for Jesus to worship Jesus and know Jesus and follow Jesus and serve Jesus so that Jesus might be glorified, which leads to number three. We want to be a family that's committed to the mission. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It gives us a passion for the mission of Jesus. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you're keeping in step with the Spirit, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a real passion for talking about Jesus, watch what Jesus said in his own words, Acts chapter one, verse eight, he said this, but you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what will the Holy Spirit do as the Holy Spirit comes upon you and indwells you and fills you? You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. That's Mardis's. It's where we get the, 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 it's the Greek word where we get the English word martyr. It means you will be my witnesses in spite of the cost. Even if it costs you your life, 
The Holy Spirit will give you the power to be my witnesses in spite of the cost. And you will tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit works in us and gives us a passion for Jesus and for talking about Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to be his witnesses. In Acts chapter four, the early church had gathered together. They were being persecuted. They were told to quit speaking about the name of Jesus and they get together and they start praying and they say, Lord, hear their threats. You hear their threats. Now, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In spite of the threats, enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, they left there speaking and preaching about the name of Jesus boldly. They all left there, not a few, not the pastors, not the elders, they all left that place of prayer speaking boldly about the name of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us. It gives us the power to speak about Jesus. In Acts chapter four, when they were told to quit speaking about the name of Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit in and through Peter and John that said, listen, we can't stop talking about Jesus. You can do whatever you like to us. We can't stop talking about him. There was something that was happening in their hearts and in their lives where they could not stop talking about Jesus. And so they, they told the Sanhedrin, they said, hey, listen, judge for yourselves whether it's right in your eyes to obey you or to obey God. We can't help talking about what we've seen and heard. They couldn't help it. They experienced Jesus, Jesus changed their lives. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and there was something inside of them. It was the Holy Spirit of God that just caused them to say and to believe and to live out. We can't help it. We can't stop it talking about what we've seen and what we've heard. They saw a dead man come back to life and it radically changed their lives. And listen, you and I today can believe in Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead without seeing because they believed in Jesus and they believed that he rose from the dead by seeing. They saw, they touched him, they said, we've seen with our eyes, we've touched with our hands, we know it's you, Jesus. You rose from the grave, you appeared to more than 500 people at one time, it's you, we know it's you. And they went to their graves dying horrible deaths as martyrs saying they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Not that someone else told them, but that they saw with their own eyes. You can believe without seeing because they believe after seeing. They saw a dead man come back to life and it changed their lives. And if you've believed that message, it changed your life. And you received the Holy Spirit at that moment and you became a Jesus freak. You love Jesus now, you wanna worship Jesus, you follow Jesus, you wanna serve Jesus now. That's just what happens when you give your life to Jesus. You, you become all about Jesus. One of our church members about a month ago <laughs> messaged me and, and said, he was, he was listening to a message on our app and they had missed that Sunday and his daughter overheard him listening to it. And uh, she said, dad, are you listening to church? And he said, yeah, how'd you know? And he said. That guy, he always, he's always talking about Jesus. He did Jesus this and Jesus that. And he just said, I'm so thankful that our family can still go to a church where we talk about Jesus all the time. Listen, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're giving your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. That's just, that's just what you do. You love Jesus. You talk about Jesus. He's the Lord of your life. Paul said in Colossians, if you were here with us during the class, he is your life. He's your life what your life's all about now. And, and, and if that hasn't been true of you, then chances are you're not a follower of Jesus and you need to give your life to Jesus today. As we saw earlier, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a fine for that sin. It's eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But Jesus died on the cross to pay your fine for sin so that you might be forgiven of your sin and made right with God. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. You could know that right now if you've never given your life to Jesus before or maybe you've been trusting in your own good works to make you right with God. 
Today, reject all of that idolatry that you could ever be good enough to go to heaven, that you could ever be good enough to be right with God and give your life to Jesus today who came down to rescue you from your sin by dying in your place for your sin so that you might be forgiven of your sin and made right with God. Give your life to Jesus today. And if that's you, jump on our app, fill out our form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. And when you do, Jesus said, you follow me, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. All followers are fishers. All followers of Jesus are fishers of men. Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples. All disciples make disciples. Followers are fishers and disciples make disciples to the ends of the earth. Starting here at home and then to the ends of the earth. And so not only do we wanna be a church that talks about Jesus here, we wanna be a church that mobilizes people from here to there. Where is there? To unreached people groups. Where people will be born, live and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus, without ever seeing a Bible or seeing a church. We wanna be a church that mobilizes people from here to there. And we've got a process to get you from here to there that we might take the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Now, some people will say, well, if you're about spiritual growth and discipleship, then it's really hard to be about evangelism and mission. Or if you're about evangelism and preaching the gospel and the mission of Jesus, then it's hard to be a church that's focused on spiritual growth and discipleship. But here's what we learn in the scripture. These two are not competing. They complement each other. In Acts chapter two, we see the disciples in the early church growing. They're spiritually, they're devoting themselves to the scripture and to prayer and the meeting together. And it says as a result in Acts two, verse 47, it says, and as a result, daily people were added to their number, those who were being saved. So, so as a result of their spiritual growth and discipleship, daily people are being added to their number. In Acts chapter nine, it says the church is growing and strengthening and being built up. And it says, and as a result, the word of God continued to spread and the numbers of disciples were multiplying. So these two are not competing. They actually complement one another. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the Jesus mission. And it's our mission too. It's our mission too. We wanna to be committed to the Jesus mission to preach the gospel, make disciples of Jesus. And then along with that mission, we serve and we bless people in Jesus's name. Just like Jesus said, Matthew 25, you do anything for the least of these, you're doing it for me. So we are committed not only to preaching the gospel, but to ministries of mercy. In Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, he said that it's ministries of mercy that will adorn the gospel, not replace it, it's ministries of mercy that will support our primary evangelistic effort of preaching about Jesus. And so we, we believe that too, that as we preach the gospel, that ministries of mercy will then adorn that mission that we've been given to make disciples. Those two are not competing with one another. They support and they complement one another. You know, it said of the disciples in the New Testament that they were turning the world upside down as they were anchored to the scripture and empowered by the spirit and committed to the mission, no matter what, it says they were turning the world upside down. And that's my prayer, that's my heart for you and your family and our city and our world, that we will turn the world upside down. When I was in high school, I was graduating from Coronado High School and I would just begun to really follow Jesus and walk with Jesus. And uh, I began to feel like the Lord was calling me to ministry. And right about that time as I was graduating, that summer after I graduated in 2000, some of you are putting the years together now, and yes, I, I am about to turn 40. It's very sad, but um, so I graduated summer of 2000 and I went, me and some other seniors from my youth ministry, we went to this event called One Day, it's done by Passion Ministries. Some of you are probably more familiar with Passion Ministries, led by Louis Giglio. And uh, they had this event called One Days, One Day 2000 at uh, Memphis Shelby Farms in Memphis, Tennessee. And it's raining, it's pouring. We've got ponchos on, we've got umbrellas, tens of thousands of college students. 
all outside in the pouring rain, worshiping together, studying God's word. And this old man, and I say old man because he was just a lot older than me, right? He had gray hair and um, he had some glasses and he was dressed up like in his Sunday's best. And I didn't go to a church that wore nice clothes to church. And so I'm wondering who is this guy? He's old, he's dressed up, he's got like khakis on and you know, button up shirts tucked in, looks all nice. He comes up, his name's John Piper. And uh, he starts sharing this story about two ladies from his church that retired and went to an unreached people group to share the gospel. And on their way to share the gospel in this village, the brakes went out on their car, they went over a cliff and they died. And he asked us, he said, I ask you, was this a tragedy? And when it happened, he asked his church, was this a tragedy? Because everybody, everybody all across our nation at the time was saying, what a tragedy. These two ladies, they retire. They're going to share the gospel with people. Their brakes go out on their car on the way to one of the villages and they go over this cliff and they die. What a tragedy. And John Piper said to his church and he said to us that day, he said, was it a tragedy? No, that wasn't a tragedy. He said, I'll tell you a tragedy. He said, the other day, I was reading an article in Reader's Digest. And I know if you're younger than me, younger than 40, you probably have no idea what Reader's Digest was, okay? And I, I'm not gonna explain it. I'm way over my time already, so. Um, he said he was reading an article in Reader's Digest and the title of the article was, Start Now, Retire Early. Start Now, Retire Early. It was about an older couple who retired to Punta Gorda, Florida to cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect seashells. And Piper said, that's a tragedy. He said, what happened to the ladies in our church? That's not a tragedy. He said, this, this is a tragedy. And everything in our culture is trying to convince you to buy that story. Here it is, Lord, my seashell collection. Isn't it awesome? Look at my boat, Lord. Isn't it awesome? And he told us, I was, I was about to go to college. He said, don't buy that lie. Don't buy it. It's a tragedy. And then he said this, and I'll never forget it, and he wrote a book about it later. He said, college students, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. Live a life that makes sense in light of eternity. Don't waste your life. Live a life that makes sense in light of eternity. I don't know about you, but I wanna give myself to something that's worthy of my time, my money, my blood, sweat, and tears. And so I'm gonna challenge you today to go all in. Go all in with Jesus, go all in with us, and be a part of a family that is anchored to the scripture, empowered by the spirit, and committed to the mission. Start volunteering, start giving. If you've been giving, pray about increasing your giving as we head into the fall. Join a group, join as a member here at the end of August. We are a part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. And I want to invite you to join us. Don't waste your life. Don't buy the American dream. Give yourself to something that is worthy, that is worthy of your lives. You see the struggle here, and it's true in most of the American church, the struggle here is that I'm not a performer. You are not an audience. Many churches embrace this, but we reject it. You are not an audience and I'm not a performer. We are the church and the church takes communal participation, not passive observers, but active participants. How many of you have watched the show, The Office? You're fans of The Office, you've watched it, you've watched a lot of the episodes, okay, probably half of us. Okay, so some of us are gonna get this, some of us are not. In one of the episodes, Michael Scott, he's fed up with his new boss, his new management, and he decides he's gonna leave Dunder Mifflin Paper Company and go start his own company called Michael Scott Paper Company, all right? And he's already been kicked out. 
And he comes back in because he's trying to steal some supplies to kind of help start his new company. And he, start, he starts trying to recruit some of his old staff to go with him to help start this new company. And so he's crawling around on the floor because he doesn't want his boss to see him. And he's kind of sitting down below this cabinet so his boss can't see him from behind this window trying to recruit some of his old staff to go with him to start this company. And here's what he says as he's looking here on the floor. He says, look at me, I'm your future. You're looking at your future. Looks like a bright future, right? He says, look at me, I'm your future. And he says this, Who come in, who's coming with me? We're going to start the Michael Scott paper. Who's coming with me? And Jim says to Michael, uh, I'm gonna pass, I'm gonna pass. He looked at his future and he said, I'm gonna pass. But Pam, Jim's wife, who was dissatisfied with her past and current reality and position in the company, she stands up and she says this, oh no, <laughs> I'm going with him. Oh no, I'm going with him. My question for you this morning is who's coming with us? A lot of us are headed this way. Who's coming with us? Who's gonna say no to the microwave hot dog and say yes to the slow and low brisket? Who's refusing the comfortable, consumeristic, apathetic American Christianity with me? Who is coming with me, with us on a journey to not waste our lives? Would you stand up? We're gonna worship together. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to ignite a fire in our hearts right now to not waste our lives, but to give ourselves to something that's bigger than ourselves. God, I pray that right now in this moment, as we worship, you would ignite that fire in our hearts. God, to not waste our lives, but to follow Jesus, to be empowered by his spirit, to be anchored to his word, and to be committed to the mission of Jesus, regardless of the cost. By your spirit right now, in Jesus' name, God, would you ignite just a total rejection of the American dream and a total commitment and acceptance of the Jesus mission. Give us a passion for Jesus. Give us a love for Jesus that we might live for Jesus and live lives that make sense in Jesus' name, amen.